This is a podcast about betting on sports and NBA Top Shot and some other things. One important thing to note is this is not the reason you're going to get rich from betting on sports. You might get rich from Top Shot, but definitely not sports. Um, if you are looking for people who are promising you riches for betting on sports, there's tons of these sleaze balls all around the, the dang internet. Um, but uh, hopefully listening to us rant, uh, rave, and talk a little shop, it'll be slightly less awful at uh, gambling and Top Shot. All right, with that, we are on the Rob episode of the Rob and Silent J podcast. You heard that right, folks. It is the <laughs> Rob and Silent J podcast. It is March 12th, uh, 6 o'clock on the Eastern Standard Time. Everywhere else, the time is meaningless. The Ides of March are on the horizon. And welcome, Rob. What is up? How are you? I'm so glad to have convinced you to become Silent J, dude. This was among our more challenging tasks to get Jay to shut the heck up for two minutes and let Rob bring the bring the heat, bring the hammer. But today's episode is for those of you who've been waiting for that. Uh, we got it coming. Sounds great. Um, I, I have no um, prep from Rob here, so he's running the show. Um, this is our second to last episode of season two. Thank you to everyone who has listened. Uh, next week, uh, early next week, Tuesday, we're going to tape and hopefully have that out Tuesday night. We'll have our March Madness uh, podcast. And if you haven't done so already, please join our March Madness pool. It's two brackets max per person. Uh, 20 bucks per bracket, or excuse me, not 20 American dollars, 20, um, you know, internet token dollars. Um, and winner gets all the internet token dollars. Um, feel free to message any of us or either one of us to get the info. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much my two cents, Rob. I'm going to turn it over to you now. Good, good. About time, dude. That took like three minutes. Um, this is Rob's episode. I'm going to talk about some completely random topics that some of them have a little bit to do with sports betting, uses of cash, uh, things like this. It's, it's a good bit of stuff I just want to press Jay on, uh, kind of kind of topics that we've maybe touched on from time to time but haven't really gotten all the way into it. Uh, and the first one that I want to talk about, which we have, and Jay just can't resist talking about in the, the intro, Let's just go NFTs, dude. Not non-fungible tokens. It's the talk of the town. Everyone wants a piece of it. And among the hottest non-fungible tokens is NBA Top Shot, uh, digital um, attributions of videos of NBA players doing their job uh, in various fun and exciting ways. Jay, all right. First, give the the listeners a bit of background on how you got into top shot and then tell us where you stand today. Kind of give us a, give us a short arc, uh, the hero's arc of the journey into top shot and then where, where we stand early March. Uh, sure. Sure. I appreciate the Joseph Campbell, uh, reference there. Uh, one of my favorite, um, authors that I've never completed a full book of, but mm -hmm. I do respect, I do respect him as an author and some of his, uh, concepts he talks about. Uh, so I essentially, um, was looking to take college basketball off 
this year after just the NFL with COVID, all that stuff. It's just like, I didn't want to continually do that uh, with college basketball. It's just thought it'd be a good reset year given all things considered. Um, so just, just, you know, football season had just ended, um, stumbled on an article from a guy I really respect, Jonathan Bales, who probably taught me more indirectly from his books and, and articles, uh, about daily fantasy than anyone. And just essentially wrote out this pros and cons list and said why I just spent, uh, $30,000 on this, uh, video you can watch on YouTube. He made some compelling points. Um, he, of course, was slanted towards the positive since he is biased, since he, of course, put $30,000 behind a John Morant sick-ass dunk on uh, Braden Clark's sons. But uh, yeah, it was essentially a perfect storm of instead of bettering my life and, and using free time I could have to address other issues, I, I found this distraction, this shiny distraction from a very trusted source. Um, uh, pretty much the gambling Twitter community, especially like all DFS, Jonathan Bales is a really respected person. So it wasn't just him. It was also a lot of confirmation bias from a lot of people I, um, also respect or interact with in the sport, uh, sports betting slash fantasy community. It's really, it's really the daily fantasy football community, um, got on it, got hooked to it. Like it was crack cocaine. Um, interface was really cool. Um, had a, a lot of like money I didn't need to use until August for fantasy football. So, and, and obviously a lot of us in the space, just with it being, I think it was mid January. Um, it was the same thing, right? The season, the fantasy football season just ended in December. Um, you know, I think there was only three games left, the conference finals and then the Super Bowl. So a lot of just cash sitting around also a lot of cash sitting around that was like available for, via crypto, like off some of the sports books I used, um, so easily could get it on this site. It was addicting. You also can't really withdraw right now. Like it takes about, I think two months to get, be able to withdraw money. So, uh, yeah, you put all that together and, and you're kind of forced to be on this crack cocaine machine and it's a bubble. It's a huge bubble. Uh, it's a lot of fun. There's been a little bit of correction since the last two or three weeks, which is pretty much a normal cycle. You'll see, uh, really one week spike of, uh, a lot of money pouring on and then, two, three smaller weeks of drawing back. Um, I, I love it long-term. I, I do think uh, only the kind of valuable players or, uh, and, and scarce moments are going to hold value long-term, or, or I shouldn't say just hold value, but see the continued growth. Uh, I do think people like TJ McConnell and some other these guys that, you know, their prices have fallen drastically and I, I don't see them anytime soon going back to where they were a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've thought about it a lot of ways. I, I've asked Rob for some advice on how to, you know, navigate my portfolio, and um, I took it and I said, "No, I'm not selling any of it." So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. As far as NFTs, I, I don't pretend to know much about them. Uh, I would rather invest in like cryptocurrency and, and you know, Ethereum in particular. I've definitely drawn more interest to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't pretend to know a lot about them. I do think it makes sense in terms of like the next logical step. I do think we are in a bubble and I think there will be a correction, but I think five, 10, 15 years is pretty much the only direction things can go. Uh, once I, I don't want to just all talk about top shot, but one thing I will say is uh, essentially top shot, it allows for 
a true collectible market, an international collectible market. And that's the thing with sports cards where uh, it sports like tangible sports cards have been growing a lot uh, the last year or so. And they've always had a kind of a niche market, uh, but it's never really been able to be international before because of moving, you know, having to put things in the mail, things of that nature. Uh, and then couple that with the NBA's global reach. Uh, that's where I really think this thing could be, uh, could be massive. Um, but the scalability, they're having issues with that. You know, there's a, there's a lot of risk behind it. Um, but I'm at a comfortable spot where if it all went to zero, it is what it is. Um, but there's a non-zero chance this 10 X is hundred X's from even where I'm at right now. Um, and I'm willing to take that risk. So damn, damn. Yeah. So we've got regression. So I don't know, three weeks ago, Jay was willing to, willing to, to sell some of it. Sounds like he's not uh, one thing there. I was under the understanding that NFTs broadly non-fungible tokens that, that, uh, top shot was a type of non-fungible token that your little video thing was an NFT. Do you, do you see them as separate things? Um, they are like 99.9%, uh, uh, NFT. I think there's okay. something where like, you don't own the actual, like you, you cannot make a music video with your NFT in it because mm. that's technically like the NBA's product, like the video <laughs> okay. of LeBron. Yeah. I, I yeah, think yeah. so. So you get like the real, like the hardcore nerd NFTs that, you know, like one out of a thousand, maybe one out of 500 people that are actually on top shot. Cause top shot is probably the, the most non-traditional NFT, if that normie, makes any sense. Normie NFTs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the least nerds, if you will, on there. Yeah. The biggest the biggest jock idiots uh, are on there, um, you know, compared to your crypto kitties and shit like that, where you're breeding kittens, virtual kittens and stuff like that. And that's not a joke. That's a real thing. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's like a 99.9% uh, NFT. As far as the other NFTs, I was like, I had like a weekend. I was started reading a lot about it, and I was just like, I'm just gonna stick to fucking uh, NBA Top Shot and cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, ma- mainly Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. Okay, fair enough. Um, since this is the Rob episode, I'm just gonna go ahead and talk some shit. Um, I don't think that these replace sports cards. Uh, and they don't, I don't have to. They I don't, don't think. I don't think that they're. I don't think that. I'm with you on the maybe the blue chips having uh, ongoing perpetual sentimental value where, uh, you know, some fucking like Kobe dunks and LeBron shit and maybe the top 1% or the top 5% of players having cool moments get memorialized. The the metaphor that made me like it was someone said, yeah, you could take a picture of the Mona Lisa or you can buy a little cheap replica in the gift shop but people want the the piece of paper that validates the Mona Lisa, right? Or the the real thing. That's sort of get it there. Whatever, man. I'm pro investing in bubbles. I think participating in bubbles is good for people from an experience perspective. Uh, top shot, for the most part, I still don't fucking get it uh, and think that uh, the liquidity crunch will be uniquely hilarious. But uh, that's that's Rob's two cents. Yeah, yeah. To close out on Top Shot, because I, I want you to get to your other boring ass points, but um, the I, I could see uh, there's, there's going to be a correction, and I would sell right now if I wasn't willing to hold for five plus years, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. Uh, I have I, I was going to sell like my two most valuable ones, um, but then it kind of for me 
I could see a scenario like we just talked about where the non blue chips all die out and you know, the, the one I have and the other two I really have. So I have a Zion block his first like play on top shot. It's a sick block he made. I think it was the second ever game. And then, uh, I have a LeBron Kobe dunk, which was like two days after Kobe's death. LeBron did a, a dunk that like 16 years to the day Kobe did. It was like the same exact dunk. Um, so very, both very sentimental. Also, another one I have is Vince Carter's last moment. It was a year ago yesterday. It was Vince Carter was like 12th man on the bench. Um, they were getting like real-time updates that the NBA was going to cancel the season because of COVID. They got Vince Carter in the game. He They pass him the ball right before the clock ends, and he drains a three, uh, and Trey Young hugs him. And that way he gets his last shot before he retires. So like those moments, I'm just not, I'm not selling because there's so much sentimental value to them. Um, but I, I agree there is total, there's downside, there's risk, but you know, I, I'm never going to be in a more advantageous time to embrace risk in my life. So that's where I'm at with it. But yeah, I like your, your dumbass points. Let's move to a related point here. I want to talk about, I want to, I want to cement this in the, uh, in the ledger of the world. It's March the twelfth. As I watch the ticker, Bitcoin today is worth fifty-seven thousand three hundred and eighty-eight dollars on a, a very big market. It seems like it's gone up and up and up. There's a lot of smart people who think that uh, it's bullshit still, and that it doesn't mean anything, and that it is uh, a bubble and and functionally valueless. I just want to put back on the record that even at 57,000, even knocking on all time highs, I want to compare Bitcoin to something that I don't, we, we've maybe talked to like briefly about options on this show um, or like a bet that kind of has an option embedded into it, like a free, you know, a little bit of free upside included in it. And to me, uh, Bitcoin still functions like an option. But the cool thing about it that's different from a lot of other bets is that Bitcoin doesn't have, at least as of now, an expiration date to holding it. So most options have this thing called, uh, there's a lot of ways to call it, but I'll call it time decay, where it has an expiration date. And as you get closer to that expiration date, um, it decays in value, right? I get an option. I want to buy a call option on Google. You can't buy a perpetual call option on Google. You can't really buy a perpetual call option on anything. Bitcoin, I really like to think of as a perpetual call option on its continued like ability to capture mindshare of uh, of people, of investors, and and wallet share. And um, yeah, I just want to put it on the damn record that even at fifty seven thousand, I think we have the potential for it to go a hell of a lot higher, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people, but I'm putting it on the, on the damn record. I'm, I'm going on here. I still think it's a good bet. Um, even as high as it is today. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've obviously had private conversations about this and I don't pretend to know the functionality of it all. Um, but it is kind of similar to a lot of the top shot stuff. I mean, um, you know, it, the fact that there are some really intelligent people that I respect that you know, don't include yourself like with top shot, right. That you just don't get it. Um, as weird as that is to say, it's almost like a good thing. Cause it's like, that's, you know, that means there's, if, 
we can convince people like yourself and other people, that means there's a lot of upside left to go, right? Um, now, on the other hand, you know, really smart people know what they're, they're doing, right? So there's obviously risk. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's very similar where a lot of people I respect have similar uh, thoughts to yourself. Um, I know um, Jonathan Bales, we kind of talked about, he's extremely uh, big on uh, Bitcoin as well. He's like a huge, uh, he loves uh, Taleb more than any of us. And I know Taleb has come out of talking about how um, Bitcoin is, will never be a true currency. It's too volatile, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I, I didn't read any of his rants. I just saw a couple of them. And I mean, he's obviously a guy I respect a lot, um, but I don't even know if it has to be a currency, right? And that's what we're saying about the same thing with Top Shot. Top Shot doesn't have to replace t- uh, you know, physical cards. They can mm-hmm. act together, right? Um, you know, Top Shot can, you know, they're, they're talking about, they're not, excuse me, they're not talking about it. It's in the works of uh, building a game where you can use your moments. I don't know exactly how that would work, right? But that's just like the optionality of it all, right? So is is there a, can I ask you a question? Is, is there a way Bitcoin is, isn't like a traditional currency and it still has value and, and should be viewed as being worth more than, you know, almost $60,000 right now? There's a guy whose research I love. His name's Nick, and I see Carter, and he's published this research about Bitcoin's narrative over time, basically using kind of like um, narrative analysis. So using research on what people are Googling about Bitcoin and kind of what's the story. So the first story was something like peer-to-peer transactions, right? Replacing PayPal, replacing cash-to-cash. Later, it was... I don't know all of them that it's been, but but the latest one I think is is store of value, like kind of digital gold, um, and that narrative changes over time. And, and I don't know what the final one is going to be. Um, I forgot how that relates to what you just asked me, but um, Bitcoin's um, could Bitcoin still be worth more than its asking price right now if it can't be used as a traditional currency? Yes, yes. Sorry, yes. Absolutely. The the narrative on Bitcoin can change. The narrative that I like the most is that if you think about how we do business and how we decide what's valuable, all of our markets run on credit, which means people lending stuff to each other. Most money is credit, which is kind of counterintuitive. People think of money as like, you know, it started from value or it started from barter. No, it started from credit. People lending stuff to each other uh, and credit being outstanding is like by far the, the biggest flow of value between people. And Bitcoin has a chance to be the most pristine, verifiable, um, mobile collateral uh, in the world. Meaning like right now, the best collateral in the world is probably US dollars or US treasuries, right? It's considered the highest quality. There's no credit risk. It's backed by however big our defense department is and our economy. It's like, dude, that's the best collateral in the world. Uh, some people would argue gold is better because you can, whatever, they think gold is, is more pristine collateral. I think in the digital economy, Bitcoin has this chance to be just unbelievably good, rock solid collateral that's eminently verifiable uh, by anyone at any time. And its role in that, like the, the potential use for that is so enormous as to be just hilarious. So the narrative can change, yes. And I think it can definitely win without being really like a peer-to-peer transactional thing or being 
you know, like most most uh, transactions on the internet, like people swiping their Visa to shop on Amazon, I don't see Bitcoin winning and being that denominator, right? Like you're not going to see all your goods priced in Bitcoin. I, I don't think so. I think it's going to function as collateral, high quality collateral. Right. And collateral, I mean, that's like the banking system, right? <laughs> Which is kind of a large market. It could be. Yes. Yes. Could be large. Right. And, and it doesn't even have to be the whole thing. I mean, isn't that like a trillion dollar industry? I mean, uh, 70 trillion, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. yeah like, like all, like name the value on the earth. Yeah. Um, right. yeah. <laughs> really big. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, that's where I'm at with it. And I mean, you don't even have to know, right? And I, I know we talked a couple of weeks ago and on the podcast and you asked me about Top Shot, like why I was investing so much in it. It's like, it's not even about knowing what it can be and right? Like researching it through and throughout. It's just like being in an early enough state where if this does take, an, you know, the upside, if if even, you know, it, it just gets to the 40th percentile of upside, if you got in early enough, that's still, a, you know, it can be a 5, 10 X. Um, yes. So yeah, Bitcoin's usage, we might not even know its best usage yet, right? I mean- Tr- you know, draw draw a picture of what the world looks like in 2050, right? You know, what does that what does that actually look like? I mean, you could have some best, you know, some guesses, and there's futurists who could give you you know some good ideas, but no one can tell you exactly how it's going to look like. There's there's no way. I would agree. Uh, that brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you. It's just kind of a kind of a high level question of this breakdown about being good at something versus something that you want to be good at is I think an interesting place for the topics that we talk about. We've talked about like investing, trading, et cetera, a little bit of, of, you know, crypto bullshit and a lot of sports betting. And in each of those things, you kind of have to pick your arenas. And we've talked about that a lot about betting where you have an edge, trying to find markets where it, it makes sense for you. Do you have any insight or anything to add on the idea of the things that you found that you're actually good at betting on or trading in or or being effective in versus what you really wanted to be good at and whether that's harmed you. Have you had any growth experiences there? How's that shaken out for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this goes back to the term, uh, you know, circle of competence where, you know, Warren Buffett and I'm sure uh, some of his close associates um, coined, which is, you know, it's not about how large your circle of competence is, it's how well you have it defined, right? What What's in your arena or area of expertise and what's not. Um, and when I was, did when I essentially betting full time for a year, um, that is the biggest thing I learned uh, because when I had all this extra free time and I was trying to, I was betting too much. I was, you know, dipping my toes in things that were clearly outside my circle of competence and by the time I realized that, I, I said, well, let me just take a step back, let the industry grow and take what I've learned by that and, and kind of just hyper-focus on my circle of competence. So um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, with the NFL, um, you know, especially is is my biggest thing that I've learned the last couple of years is I need to bet way less, especially pregame and things of that nature. I know I've, I've shared that intel on our podcast, but it's very tempting to, to bet more. Um, so definitely... Uh, in terms of more like games, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really, in the NFL, the market is just so incredibly sharp. Um, and and I look at my my um, results every year. And, you know, my pregame bets two of the last three years have been negative. Uh, my ret- my biggest um, edges have been live betting and futures betting. Um, so yeah, just hyper focusing on that and 
narrowing your uh, money and your money allocation, your bet sizing should be comparable to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I've probably learned since taking this seriously is, is less is more, uh, bet on less games, you know, find a way to clearly identify your edge. And I still struggle with that because I'm not a, um, and I, I incorporate analytics, but I am not a, um, like algorithm person who just strictly is a slave to the numbers. And I would benefit from probably partnering with somebody who would, I've actually, had several people tell me that, and it's probably quite true. Um, so yeah, I mean, identifying your edges. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's college basketball, it's certain conferences in college basketball, it's, um, NFL, it's futures uh, and live betting, uh, and pretty much futures in the other games or in the other sports. And all that is, is just really knowing the schedule, um, knowing the the softer skills, if you will, like which which general manager is is on about to you know tank like this team at the trade deadline is going to trade all these players away, or conversely, which general manager maybe they only have a year left in their contract, they all their incentive lies with going all in this year. So I'm going to get ahead of the curve of them making all these trades, um, things of that nature. Um, that's more of like a a big picture, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, viewing of things. So yeah, I, I completely, that's the best advice I could give for, um, outside of like the, the handicapping skills of like, you know, keeping your bet a certain percentage of your bankroll and things of that nature. And don't bet when you're drinking, don't bet when you're angry or, you know, have lost a couple of games and you're on tilt. Um, if it's just strictly like about betting the actual sport, um, yeah, find where your edge is best. And then your, ba- your bankroll should follow there. And there's always another bet coming, right? There's so much FOMO of, oh, you know, I got to bet this game, right? Like the Super Bowl or something of that nature. Um, but the one good thing is, is we are in this area of customer acquisition with all these sports books out there. So they are offering more and more ways to bet the game. And my biggest thing for NFL next year, I know we talked about it for the podcast, is I'm going to focus pretty much on the NFL of um, for pregame markets is, is the props, and I think it's better in, in a lot of ways. First of all, it's an easier market to beat. Um, so I can get, give more, you know, quote unquote winners out, which is what people want. I get that. Um, you can't get as much down on it. You can get, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks down on it. Once you win like five times in a row or five out of six times, then they limit you to a couple hundred bucks. But, you know, like I said, the average person shouldn't be betting more than hundred bucks anyways. Um, but it's also a skill that comes the Super Bowl and the bigger games, they actually are taking higher limits on. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Defining your circle of competence in anything you do, um, I think is extremely important when it comes to investing. Uh, you know, I think some of the best bets I've ever made are the ones I, I didn't make. Um, so it's, it's equally as important to know what you don't know as well as, as obviously what you are an expert or quasi expert on. What are some other markets or betting areas that you haven't mentioned that you like saw maybe from the outside, maybe you read about someone on Twitter and you were like, I've you just love the idea or started to fall in love with the idea that you wanted to be good at, that you ended up finding out that you weren't, uh, baseball, mm. betting baseball is the hardest thing I think in the world. And that's because I am not, uh, a statistics nerd, right? Like I, I respect statistics, but in terms of like coding and being able to scrape data and shit like that, I mean, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no secrets in baseball, man. It's, it's, uh, the sample size is unmatched 162 games. 
um, all the data from the minor leagues. Um, it, it truly is. If you know a quant nerd, um, fucking tell them to, to bet on baseball. And I love baseball. I know you love baseball. Um, yeah, I, I had to learn the hard way that it was like, I need to go take some, you know, fucking courses online for a couple of years if I want to do this, or I needed to just travel in the summer and not, not bet baseball. And, and I, mm-hmm. I went with the second option. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Cause it's so, cause baseball is the most, uh, it's, somehow I'm going to call it like the most emotionally charged. Like there's something so beautiful about baseball that, yeah, I want to be good at, at fucking betting baseball too, but uh, I can see how that's uh, the quants have an edge, probably a, a massive edge um, on a lot of aspects of baseball. Absolutely. It, it, yeah. Like I said, it's, there's just, there's no secrets, you know? Um, uh, yeah. Things like, things like ERA and stuff like that. that there's, the people that bet on baseball, they don't even look at those stats. The the stats they have that are actually important are insane. Spin rate, shit like that. It's 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 crazy. Yep. On that note, I want to move to my next little mini topic, which is your counterparty, which we've talked about a little bit and is not quite so I don't think it's quite as pronounced in either on the stock market or in maybe even in crypto or in sports betting, but it's worth thinking about and and trying to get your head around your counterparty. And that means who's taking the other side of your bet. Mm. So I think we've talked about um, shopping counterparties and like looking for an edge. So you like a game or you like a futures bet, you should be looking at a few, at least in the sports betting world, you should be looking at a few markets to see where those those are and, and trying to get the best price for it. But I wonder if you have any other thoughts on kind of thinking through your counterparty. This is probably more of like a poker thing where you want to be reading what the other person is doing. But you can also think about it in terms of like reading the market and how the market's moved. Um, so what do you think about what do you think about counterparty? How do you think about it? Does it fit in your process? Um, how much how much are you thinking about it? Absolutely. It's a huge part. So um I probably said the circle of competence thing is was the number one thing I learned about betting professionally for a year. Um, this might be either two or or one B or maybe even one A is is tracking the marketplace. Um, you know, you are not the smartest person at this. You're not the best sports better. Um, and even if you actually are, you don't think you are. You know what I mean by that? In terms of because if you think you're the best, you're not going to work that hard as hard as the person who thinks they're like, you know in the, in the upper 20th percentile and they're trying to climb that mountain. Right. Um, so yeah, tracking the marketplace is a, is a huge part. I mean, I track every, um, the opening line to where it closes. Um, you know, even if a team goes out and I mean, I, I'd say in the NFL, the, one of the best edges to get is let's say, um, a game is going to be played on Sunday, um, you know, the seventh or whatever, Sunday, yeah, Sunday the seventh, and Monday the first, uh, the line opens. It's say it's the Patriots and the Steelers. It opens minus three on Monday the first, and then the game uh, is played on Sunday the seventh. And obviously, throughout the week, it's not like it's going to move, uh, you know, uh, linearly or you know, in a straight line. 
Uh, but let's say it closes at minus six and a half. So it goes from minus three, the Patriots were a three point favorite, and then it closes to where the Patriots are a six and a half point favorite. Yet the Steelers come out and blow out the Patriots. Um, my power rankings would actually not, you know, I wouldn't move my power rankings all the way up to the Steelers. I might actually even move my power rankings to, to, uh, the Patriots, even though they just got blown out on a football field because, uh, now that could be a fluky thing. Like th- there was a major injury and that's why the Steelers went from being three point underdogs to six and a half point. But if there was no major thing like that, and it was just, you know, the, the market told me that three and a half points for the, the Patriots moved from three to six and a half throughout the week. I'm going to most likely say the Patriots are, I probably have the Patriots underrated, right? If, if I had, uh, let's say it, it if I had that number at three, the beginning of the week, it comes out three. So I don't bet it. I see it go all the way to six and a half. Yeah. That would be the conclusion. Even if the Steelers go and blow out the game. Yeah, absolutely. That was a huge thing I, I learned. And, um, you know, it, you watch one game of especially football, or any sport, really, it's, it, it's such a minute random event. Um, there's so many factors. There's so much noise involved. Um, you know, a, a lot of times a football game, the the game script, if you will, could go in a in a completely different direction based on maybe a pick six or a one off fluky play, um, and you, you know same thing even with other sports like baseball. I mean, is there anything more random than a single baseball game? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, tracking the marketplace is is a major thing. If you want to do this even close to semi seriously, you should be tracking uh, what the opening number is, what's it closed at, uh, and comparing that data. I want to add one more angle to this. I totally agree with everything you just said there, but I want to add one more angle to this. And that is, so like, um, I, I just read this book uh, called Barbarians at the Gate, which I recommend to anyone who's interested in finance. It's about private equity taking over a, a really old uh, conglomerate called RJR Nabisco in the late 80s and the bid to do so and all the parties involved in it and all their differing kind of objectives and agendas and how everyone was kind of looking out for themselves and there were these small alliances, just clusterfuck. A little bit like, I don't know, like Game of Thrones, right? Like people are teaming up, people are no longer teamed up, whatever, whatever. I just want to have people think about this as they're like, if you're interested, for instance, in the sports gambling world, I want you to think about your counterparty if you're doing something like paying for picks or if you're doing something like ascribing expertise to someone on Twitter, if someone, for instance, on Twitter is pumping up a, um, let's move to crypto and say that they're like, hey, this you know tiny project is the shit and they tweet about it 16 times a day, you can do just a little thinking in your head as to why, what this person's incentives are and understand that they may be pumping something that they own to their own personal benefit, right? The more tweets this thing gets, the more people might see it, the more people might buy it. They're, they're out for their own personal gain, right? And I think that in sports, I, I don't know how big this is in sports betting, but in the finance massive, world, massive in the crypto world, like I, I just, I'm not, especially in this bull run, I'm not finding enough people being skeptical about the information they're getting and the, the um, agendas of the people who are pumping out this information and it's never been more fucked up and difficult than in the social media age. Like it's just never been harder to like parse the, the data coming out and, and determining what's fluky, what's noise, what's like shilling. 
Um, yeah. Of just and people that, trying to make themselves rich. And that's not, and that's not just unique to finance or sports betting and, and crypto. I mean, first of all, to answer your question is it's massive in sports betting. I mean, it's quite literally why I started this podcast and why we have our disclaimer at the beginning, because, you know, every single person that gives advice on sports betting, it's, it's like, it's not just that they are selling winners, they're, you know, they're locks, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just like, even just talking about it that way is so it's as if it's a preordained thing. It is not a preordained thing. It's a it's in a single event that could go so many different ways. Um, and yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it's it's an epidemic with that. And I mean, I, I think the social media age that's that's you know a, a microcosm of what we've got in our country. With you know everyone's got a, a loud microphone now, um, which is obviously ironic for two guys with the podcast, but. Um, you know, that, that's, that's what's going on everywhere. And unfortunately, so, um, you know, people are putting serious, serious money behind some of these claims and yeah, absolutely. I I mean, you know, I, I I think the word being a a cynic or a skeptic is had so much negative connotation. And of course, you know, you want to be a positive person, but I don't think it's necessarily mutually exclusive to be a positive person and, um, you know, skeptical. skeptical. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's where that kind of dichotomy is really important. Anytime you are putting money behind somebody's claims that you do not know and not trust, but even if you do know and trust them, because money does incredible things to people and it's really not even their fault. It's just our fucking, you know, biological, uh, yeah, need for so many things, and we can spend hours talking about that. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I just just tell people that is is being skeptical is not a bad thing. Um, I mean, it's quite literally, you know, people not being skeptical is what has propelled every Ponzi scheme there ever has been and will be. Um, and even being skeptical, you still be duped. It's not like okay, I'm skeptical one time and then okay, now I trust this person. I mean. Yeah, but it is. It's a huge issue in sports betting. It's it's really sad um, because it just puts more fire on the stigma against sports betting, which is, in my eyes, completely a, uh, the same level as, let's say, you day trade stocks or if you're on Wall Street, um, you know, in terms of prestige or what that job is. I mean, really, I, I don't think either job is very prestigious, um, but you know how the traditional person, if you know, they, you brought, you dated a woman and they, you know, you meet their parents and they say, Oh, you work on wall street or, Oh, you're a sports better. Right. You know, the reaction is going to be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think either is really, like I said, <laughs> much of a service, you know, you should only be doing that if you absolutely love it. Or if, you know, your intention is to make a lot of money to be on wall street, uh, which I respect. Um, but, but yeah, you should be skeptical and, and it is sad. It's, it's huge. It's a huge problem in the industry. And, and it's unfortunate that I'm hearing that it, it's happening in finance too, but it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. Everyone's got an agenda. It's not, I don't think this is new or really different this time around. This, this time is never different, but, uh, in the midst of like a, a, bull run in a lot of things, meaning markets are very hot and everyone is suspending disbelief for a lot of different asset classes. Uh, just be aware of the, like the agency kind of principal agent problems where, where you get your information from and what incentives they might have, uh, is worth thinking about. 
Yeah. 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 Well, one last thing on that is, it, you know, I'm obviously quite sarcastic about the top shot stuff. Um, but actually one of the reasons I have decided to, uh, hold a lot of uh, all my stuff is a, a lot of people I did respect actually started to come out and, and having actually more, um, you know, bearish takes and, mm-hmm. and not completely bearish, but it just felt like a more of a market finally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's tons of that in top shot. Um, you know, I'm obviously being sarcastic with a lot of things I've said previously, but yeah, it's, it could fall to zero and, 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 you know, it's not hard to explain why it would fall to zero. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fucking nothing, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Yes. Uh, I, I want to talk quickly about this. I found two metaphors, uh, that I really liked that, uh, reminded me of bets that you had made or, or like bets that you had discussed on the show. Uh, the bet that comes to mind was, geez, I don't remember who it was. It was college football and it was someone coming up. Someone had, oh, Clemson, Notre Dame. You were like, this is, you just really liked the bet. And, mm-hmm. and of course it played out. So there's some, you know, like uh, like resulting. Going on. Yeah. Survivor. Yeah. There's some resulting going on here. Um, but I listened to this podcast and I heard a guy use a metaphor that said, I just risk personality wise. If I can take a bet on Andre, the giant in a fight against a guy who's three feet tall, like I don't give a shit what the implied odds are. I don't care what, (laughs) what's being priced. Like I'm getting everything down that I can on that one. And I like that framing a lot because, uh, it's very visceral. Anyone can imagine that. Um, but it also has to do with kind of which bets you're attracted to personally, which I think relates to this big problem for people as investors, which is like identity and investing and identity and betting or, or you know, how you use your, your capital or time or whatever, which is that you've got to find something that fits for you personally. And I think funny enough, even though we're talking about these, like uh, some hilariously speculative asset classes, I think you and I are like, tend towards a conservative uh, investor, like rather not take bets where we don't know what the outcome might be or where we can't handicap the odds at all. Um, what do you think about that metaphor? Andre, the giant guy who's three feet tall and then, kind of risk versus reward. Like, do you want to put in, would you put in all your chips on that one better? Are you still doing the, you know, I want a diversified set of bets. I've got my unit size. I might go up to five on a given one. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, it, it, it's actually, it's a, it's a great metaphor. I also just uh, check your Twitter. I just, <laughs> I just sent you a tweet or tagged you in a tweet from the day of that game. Um, it's a, it's a funny little interaction, but uh, yeah, it's actually a, a, a major part of my handicapping now is is um, you know less is more and uh, upping my unit size, still sticking to units, just because there's so much variance at play, and um, you have you need to do it for a, a variety of reasons. Number one, it's sound money management, but it also keeps you in a way to operate. Um, in a level-headed way. And that that percentage is going to be different from person to person. So there is basic money money strategy that says right around 1% of your bankroll should be your bet size. So if you mm-hmm. have, you know, you have $1000, you should be betting 10 bucks a game. That, you know, there's that. Um obviously, you don't have to be as technical if you're doing it with play around money, things of that nature, but just for fun example, 
you can do that. But um, what I've kind of done is bump that up to maybe a, a, a two to three percent. But my my uh, burden of proof for a bet has has dramatically gone up. And th- this is a weakness of mine in terms of identifying what hits a criteria or not. And this is where I, I do need to find a partner or learn me some some uh, coding skills so that way I can better identify it. But that has been the best where a place of, of looking at it and, and the bets, you know, sometimes they happen the same weekend, but mostly it's about one a month that I'll, I'll get on and I will feel so strongly about. And even though I feel so strongly about it, I still know in my heart of hearts, there's a 75% chance, 80% chance, maybe probably less realistically, 60% chance, 65% chance that wins. Um, but I do, I have made note of the last two years and those, those have been much higher than my other win rates. There have been, there've been several losses, no doubt about it. Um, but when we're talking about the difference of, let's say if you could be 55, 60% winners compared to 51, 52%, um, then it all comes down to how much money you can get on a game, which mm-hmm. I think that game I was talking to you were mentioned was the ACC championship game. So you could easily get six figures on that game. Um, even if you're known as the best sports better in the world, just because it's such a liquid market, they would, Big they market, would even, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that, that comes back to the circle of competence, uh, competence where, you know, just identify what you do well and just wait for it. And that's that, you know, if you watch, there's a really good HBO documentary, it's becoming Buffett. And, um, you know, think about Warren Buffett, which I think is so great is how simple his investing really is. I mean, he does amazing, you know, he and his team do uh, lots of research, but the biggest thing has just really been time. I think he started investing when he was like, you know, uh, before he was a teenager and, you know, now I think he's what, 80 some years old. Uh, so he just, just continually made good decisions, not even amazing decisions, but just good decisions. Some have been, of course, great and amazing, but but it's just been consistent and it's compounded. And I mean, that's really what you have to do. I mean, if you're if you only got a thousand dollars a bet right now, but you know, if you let that go to work for you for ten years, I mean, and you're hitting at a fifty five percent clip, sixty percent clip, I mean, you're going to get some places year three, year five, year six. Um, and then obviously if you're having such success, you would think you'd allocate more money towards that turn, but you know, that that's for another uh, story. So uh, yeah, defining your uh, circle of competence is, is very important. And, and really you need to come down to uh, am I doing this for entertainment or am I doing this because I really want to make money and it needs to be a line that you can't cross. Um, mm-hmm. Like for example, when I go to casinos with friends, I don't play any of the games. I don't, I don't play craps. I don't play blackjack. I don't play any of it because I know the casino has an expected win rate for me. And me playing that game is not fun for me because I know I'm going to lose in the end. You know, I've played the games before. Of course it's fun. You know, it's, it's a fun environment, but to me it's a line I have to have. And it was really because, you know, my, my dad is not, he's a functioning, uh, you know, gambling addict. I mean, he retired. He was a firefighter, things of that nature. But he, in all intents and purposes, he's a fun, you know functioning gambling addict. And I've met other gambling addicts, and and there was you know some fine people, but I knew I never wanted to be them, if you will. So for mm-hmm. me, I I maintain that line because I you don't want that to be a gray area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I still slip up sometimes with bets, betting too much or betting too little, things of that nature. Holding on to top shots, yeah. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And and, and to go with top shots, you know, it, the best strategy for top shots is just like buy the best players. And that, that's, if you think about it, it's the simplest, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, myself, I've gone down, you know, rabbit holes of, Oh, why this guy's going to be a value. It's like, Oh, this, this is actually true. Um, Damian Lee, uh, is married to Steph Curry's <laughs> sister Stop. and they both play on golden state. Yeah. Get so I bought, I spent, I spent, yeah, I spent a lot of money on one of his fucking moments. Yeah. And looking back on, I was like, what are you doing? So, um, yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and biggest thing to know is, you know, you're the easiest person to fool is yourself. So, yes, uh, yes. All right. Do you spend more time in your sports betting looking for Andre, the giant versus three foot guy fights or, uh, you know, a, a slightly less, uh, less percentage with a bigger payoff or do you, do you feel like you balance the two? Uh, I'm moving towards the Andre, the giant. That is that is one of the reasons I actually took college basketball off as well is I just want it to be a reset of I don't want to look at the the college basketball slate like on a Saturday the same way. I don't want to be researching all these games and all that. Like I, I want it to be where I'm only researching this if I even have an inkling at the very beginning. Right. And I know I'll miss, you know, two or three games, but there's two hundred games on a college basketball Saturday. It's like is it worth to miss the two or three games so that I I can you know, be betting less games, but making actually more money. I mean, that, that's an easy answer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I am currently in the process of redefining that. And, and it's a big thing with the NFL and what we're going to work next year on is, um, you know, it's great to have all this preview information and, and whatnot, but there's so much turnover in the NFL that you got to be ready to, to jump ship quickly. Um, yes. It doesn't mean obviously just jump ship to jump ship, but you got to be ready to, to pivot. Um, so, so yeah, I like it. I like it. That was the, the end of it, man. The, the other metaphor that was kind of the same way of, or a different way of saying the same thing. Shout out to Midwestern Hedgy on Twitter. He said yesterday, why fight Mike Tyson when you can kick grandma in the shins? Um, the, the dark reality is that we're, we're trying to, trying to find ways to, to kick grandma in the shins and not fight Mike Tyson because, uh, you'll probably lose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's that's all you got. I mean, I thought that was it was pretty good. Remember, you said this is going to be short. That was funny. Yeah, you talked a lot, dude. I'm, we'll we'll check the time frame, but it's silent J no more. I did ask you questions. Yeah, this is all your fault. I know, dude. I know. Well, all that's right. all I had for this up. You got any more? Got any more uh, brain busters? You want to you want to push back my way? No, we we have our last pod of season two uh, next Tuesday, so we'll get that out to you quickly uh, for the March Madness, uh, and then it will be uh, Bon Voyage until uh, August when we get back ready for Rob's favorite, the National Football League. Sayonara. We'll get a.